Do it afterwards. That's great. It's always good to get up and stretch there a little bit, keep you awake during the message. Yeah. Get focused. Well, several weeks ago, six to be exact, we started a series in the book of Nehemiah called Favor with Kings. It was supposed to end today, but it's not. We will end it next week. But we've been laying our lives before God in these weeks to ask him what is the burden that he wants to place on our heart to be able to serve him and to serve others. You have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. What is it? Some of you have discovered it, and you're pretty excited about it. In fact, I met yesterday with a couple guys from the church, and they said, we got a mission, and, and they unpackaged it for me. And I was like, cool, I love that mission. I have another person I met with this week, and they were floating some changes in their life, and it's like, I, th- I think God's calling this. And so you may be in that category pretty, pretty good. Maybe you're like, I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm in the fog a little bit still. Just hang in there. Continue laying it before God. Pray and keep your heart open. Dig out your ears. Open your eyes. Sense what he's laying on your heart as it relates to experiences. Maybe people you're around. Some others of you are going like, you know, I think he's got a mission for other people, but I don't think he's got one for me. You're wrong. You freshly open yourself, even in these last two weeks, to saying, God, what is the mission that you've called me to? Something that would motivate me. See, he's not going to force you into doing something you don't want to do. Now, it may be challenging. It may be outside your comfort zone. A lot of those kinds of things. But God wired you and I a certain way. I know when I committed my life fully to Jesus Christ, I was always worried that if I really did that 100% thing, that he would ruin and wreck my life. I don't know why I thought that. Other than it's like, oh, I'm going to have to do something when those missionaries come through and other people I don't want to do. I don't want to do this or that, right? God will take you right where you're at. He's made you uniquely, and he has something that will motivate you. And that mission matters to someone else. And if you don't step into the fulfillment of that mission, that person will miss out. And maybe it's many people. Maybe it's just not one. It doesn't matter where you've been in life, what you've done or what you haven't done, how hard you've fallen, how wobbly you walk. God has a plan for your life. And so that overarching thing to me is one of the most critical things that we gain from Nehemiah because we saw in Nehemiah that he had this heart, this burden to build the wall in Jerusalem. And he went to do that so his people could have safety and protection and gain a fresh and a new identity to God. But in Nehemiah 6.15, we find this. So on the October 2nd of that year, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Last week we talked about uh, sort of opposition and, and the sin ballot and, and Tobiah and them who were opposed. And, and what do we do when we hit the challenges? I just think it's so cool that you'd like to take the snapshot, go back, do the video and say, what was it like when they got the wall done and all those who had sort of, you know, been the naysayers stood back and went, wow, they got it done. Friends, 150 years this wall was broken down. 
and they rebuilt it in 52 days. We've been in this series for 49 days. So since we've been talking about this series, they got this thing rebuilt that had been broken down for 150 years, had defined who they were as a broken nation and people, and people said, oh, things will never change. And it changed because God worked through Nehemiah with those people, rebuilding the wall for safety and protection and a vision for them to be the community of God that he intended for them to be. And the other stood back and went, wow, there must be a God. Just like Joe said about the testimony, there must be a sign. There's a sign. The wall's been rebuilt. So we come to this closure at some level in this story. But in this story, um, there's a question that begins to emerge. And the question is, what do you do now that you've had success in seeing the mission accomplished? What do you do now that you've had success in seeing the mission accomplished? Some of you remember a guy by the name of Jabez in the Old Testament. He just mentioned in passing, it says this in 1 Chronicles 4.9, There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. He prayed, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And then it says, and God granted him his request. How many of you believe that God wants to bless you? Okay, stretch the arms there a little bit. How many believe you don't need, that God wants to bless you? Friends, we get into this idea that he's some judgmental God that just really wants to ruin your life and mind and make you miserable during the day. He doesn't. He's God the Father. He created you and I. He has a plan for your life, and he wants to bless you. Now, it may not be in some of the ways that you think you want to be blessed because he redefines that and helps you see more clearly. But what do you do once God blesses you and you start to have success? Here's the question. What is easier? What challenge is easier to deal with? Well, maybe I'll rephrase it. What challenge is more difficult to deal with? Adversity or prosperity? Now, adversity is tough. You lose a job. Loss of income, a change of life. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe there's the death of a loved one. You're going through challenges and adversity. I mean, we all know what, you know, we're flat on our face. We're curled up in a ball. We're crying out to God, all right? But as one author said, Thomas Carley said this, for every 100 people who can handle adversity, there is one who can handle prosperity. Look at some of the examples of maybe people in your own life. Things start going well. God starts blessing. You're knocking it down. It's good. And then what happens? There's this little subtle drift that starts to move through. So I want to talk about what do you do to sustain success and the prosperity once it starts to come your way? Because you need to be thinking through this. Okay? And the first thing we're going to look at is the dangers of success. Beware of the dangers of success. We're going to look at Nehemiah and how he reacted to this, looking back and and evaluating all that happened once he wrote his memoirs here. And it says this in Nehemiah 5.14, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, neither I nor the officials drew our official food allowance. So things are going on. He's reflecting back with this. 
the dangers of success is privileges and perks start to come your way. Happy day. There's margin in the check account, right? I now have an expense account at work, right? There's more free time you got for this or that. And so what happens is privileges and perks start to come your way, but it is a danger to some degree that you need to be mindful of. Yes, it's the blessing of God, but you need to see what starts to happen in our lives. We start to get loose a little bit. And Nehemiah is saying, for 12 years, I governed Judah. Neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. In other words, he did not take advantage of that which was coming to him. Who is the mission for that you've been burdened with? Is it for you or is it for others? And when success comes your way, you start to think that it's for you a lot of times, right? And you have to be mindful. The second is integrity, drift, and entitlement. Nehemiah 5.15, the former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people demanding a daily ration of food and wine. Besides 40 pieces of silver, even their assistants took advantage of the people. So in the midst of all this and things that were happening, there was this subtle integrity drift and a sense of entitlement that starts to come our way and happens to all of us. And there's the little things that happen even during the course of a week. This week I had the, uh, I was in Costco, and I went always in Costco for, I, I don't, like to go to Costco, but I know I'm getting a good price at Costco, right? But there's a lot of people at the Temecula's Costco, right? I don't know why we don't petition to get them to build another Costco. Anyway, um, I'm in Costco, and I noticed an item I had bought a few weeks ago when we were trying to outfit our house a little bit had dropped in price. Now, I had been watching this item before I bought it, and then I looked at it after I bought it, and the item had been uh, like 250 bucks. It was uh, one of those sound bars. I figured I got this great room. I need to have a screen. I haven't had a big screen for a long time and get the sound bar to do this. 250 bucks. And the price had dropped to 190 when, when I bought it. And I'm like, that's a good deal. So I bought it for 190 Sure enough, after I bought it, the sale goes off. It goes back up to 240 You're walking by it and you go, I got it for 190 bucks. You're feeling good, right? Well, this week I walked in and I looked over and it was on sale for 170 bucks. And I went, oh, it's cheaper than what I bought it for. Another reason I like Costco, right? I'm like, I'm going to bring my receipt back in and see if they do something about that, right? And so I'm heading out the door. Oh, I was just getting some uh, storage units for some things. And I'd even had the lady mark my thing. And I looked around and I noticed there was nobody at the line for the, the returns, which is a miracle. So I slipped over there and I said, hey, I don't have my receipt, but there was an item that is marked down. Those kinds of, I, didn't, I didn't mention uh, the cost on or anything like that. She says, well, normally not, but let me, let me see if I can take care of it. She should have waited a few moments. She took care of it. She gave me the green little receipt, and I'm thinking, good deal. I got my 20 bucks back. And uh, so I head on out, and then I later look at my little receipt, and she didn't give me 20 bucks. She gave me 80 bucks. Because she thought I bought it at the two fifty mark, not at the dollar, the buck nine, uh, the hundred nine. Now, what do you do in that moment? <laughs> My first response was, "Oh man, 
and there was a line that time. I'm like, I don't want to go back in the line. And then I'm thinking like, I don't need to go back in the line. That was their mistake. And I'm thinking, Costco makes a lot of money. They're not even going to notice that. Right? What goes through our mind? Friends, that's integrity drift. I'm heading back this week with my receipt, and I will let her know that they gave me 60 extra dollars. Now, I don't always end up doing the right thing, but I knew that was the right thing to do. And when I got home, told my family that that's the right thing to do. And so I'm like, great, now i got accountability. i got to do it. Um, <laughs> why do they just say, oh, i just keep it, Dad? But when success comes your way, there's subtle drift. And you got to make sure you don't fall into the sense of entitlement. And people that are very successful, it's one of the greatest dangers. Whether you're a professional athlete, successful CEO, or maybe you just had prosperity come your way, or life's going easy, or maybe there's just some self-centered pride issues in your life and you don't care about other people, you have to be mindful of what happened. But what was happening around Nehemiah, he saw it, and he had nothing to do with it. He was not going to take advantage of the people. And that's exactly what started to happen in that day. The third is distractions. Nehemiah 5.17, I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice uh, sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Now here's my point with this. And we looked at this passage a few weeks ago. When things start going well, things start going a lot. And there's a lot of things that you can start to participate in and be involved in. And here's Nehemiah. He's entertaining 150 people. He's having a gathering at his house. Maybe he put up a tent in the backyard. I don't know. But he's got 150 people coming over. For those who are introverts, you're going like, oh, that would just kill me, right? For those, like, hey, party, let's get it on. But you know, here's Nehemiah. When things started coming his way and things were – he was entertaining, showcasing different stuff. He could have easily been distracted from that mission which God had put on his heart. You may have people come to you who are interested and in pulling you this direction, that direction – but you have to stay the course. And Nehemiah, even though he entertained and did these other things, he was mindful of one of the dangers of success is distraction. And he stayed the course. The fourth thing mentioned here is using people. It's for me, you know. Nehemiah 5.18, Yet I refuse to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. We mentioned that there was a taxation going on and there was a lot of have-nots and the have-nots became indebted to the haves, the people who had money and even their own kind. And so uh, Nehemiah was seeing all this and saying, no, what are you doing? You are using people. Jews are preying upon other Jews and they're suffocating and they're under oppression. This is not right. The success of what's going on, our life as a community, our life as individuals is not for us. It's for other people. And so these are the dangers, just some of the dangers that you pull from Nehemiah as he's dealing with success. And you, if you're going to handle success, you need to be aware of the dangers that can easily come through what's happening. And so then this is um, sort of how you can sum it up. What's the cost? What's the cost 
if you fall to those dangers. The cost is the loss of influence, your moral authority. If you have success, if you fall in the ways of integrity issues, entitlement issues, being self-absorbed in things, you are uh, not you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's, you can easily lose your influence with other people, your moral authority. I think it's one of the most tragic things, and I, 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 you know, my whole life I've tried to journey faithfully. You know, it's like, oh, oh, we'll just take that little Costco thing if I can do that. It's like, okay, so it doesn't really matter. But it's a slippery slope. And if I justify that, I may justify the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And all of us have challenges. None of us are righteous. There's only righteous one is Jesus. And that's why I want him living in my life. So this isn't like beat up on the center day. Okay? But you have to reckon with this reality that the only power you have in one sense to change and make things happen is the influence you bring to the table. And if your influence has been compromised by a lack of integrity and other things, you end up losing moral authority. Parents, this is huge in your life with your kids. They're watching you. And it's not that we're always right. We'll stumble and fall and those kinds of things. But, friends, you and I cannot influence other people unless we walk upright with the Christ who dwells within us. If you want to have power to make things happen and see your mission through, influence is critical. And the loss of it is devastating. The loss of it is devastating. And what is it? It's alignment. It's alignment between what you say and what you do. Your belief and your behavior. And what happens in our culture is many times we have this belief, but then our behavior gets a little wobbly or we're getting enticed and we sort of move over here into some places we shouldn't be, but we still say we believe this, but our life is not backing it up, right? And so what ends up happening the majority of the time? We change our behavior. We change our belief. Well, I don't think God really meant that. I mean, that was for a different age. You know, when you reinterpret it today and our culture today, then, you know, it's like, no, God's word never changes. Our behavior needs to align with what the word of God says and what we say that we believe. Some of you have been the recipients of people who have lost their moral authority in your life. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe you changed because of it. Maybe it's church. Maybe some of you haven't been back to church for a while because there was somewhere, some, somehow, leadership in the church did not align with what they said they believed. And all I can say for that is I'm sorry. On behalf of all of it, I mean, we're all humans as leaders, those kinds of things. But by God's grace, may what we say and what we do align. May we have the moral authority to carry through and not fall back into some cowering position. God has called us walk upright. You know, the whole political campaign of this last year and even politics still some today, what do we wrestle with? We're wrestling with that right there. Moral authority. 
Is what we're saying and what we're doing aligning or not? And you can sniff it out pretty quick, right? Oh, yeah, there may be perceptions here and that and things not being told truthfully and try to work through the maze. But the concern is you want leadership who has moral authority, that they carry this sense of influence based off of who they are and what they represent. Well, I tell you what, Nehemiah was great with this. He was great with it. Influence is the platform you speak from to carry out your mission. Let me say that again. Influences the platform from which you speak from to carry out your mission. And Nehemiah knew it. Nehemiah challenged them in that day. Hey, this isn't right. That's not right. His life backed it up. And guess what happens? This is what happens. I can get it to go. They had nothing to say in their defense in Nehemiah 5.8. So to sustain success, to build influence, what you say and what you do have to align. And Nehemiah did it at every turn. And he sustained his success. So they couldn't say, oh, I can't believe, hey, you jumped in with us. Remember, you took off. You gathered all those resources. You ran away with them. Or you built this for yourself. No, he had nothing to do with it. He stayed clear from that, and his influence built with the people, and they could not blame him. So if you want to sustain success, then you need to make sure that there's the moral authority and things are backing themselves up. Next slide. This must not be working for me. This is where he sustained it at. A reverence for God and a commitment to the vision. In Nehemiah 5, it says this, But because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. Remember, O my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me. Bless me. Now, why did Nehemiah walk with integrity? For the people? For what it brought him? He walked with integrity foremostly because of his reverence for God and his commitment to the vision of God. He did not do it to gain influence or get things done or to manage his own image in front of people. He did it because he feared God. You know, you know, Scripture talks about, you know, they turn this way and they turn that way throughout Scripture. And one of the statements often references there was no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this isn't a, oh, my gosh, they'll stick up there. He's going to beat me up. There's this sense of reverence. I serve the living God of the universe, the one who created me in my mother's womb. And I do and I do not do things, not because of what benefit that I get, but because of who God is. You have to move from this self-centered Christian life to a true God-centered Christian life that is obedient because of your fear and your reverence for God and all that he's doing in the world. Not because of what it comes back to you. And that's exactly what the um, uh, story was of Nehemiah. He had to choose. I could do this. I could cut a corner. I could cheat here. I could take this from the people. But he knew that it wasn't the right thing because of God in his midst. There's a couple examples of this in Scripture to throw out. One of those is the example of Abraham and Isaac. And this example, and this is one of the most challenging things that comes to you. What happens when you have a mission 
and you see a way of accomplishing the mission, but that way of accomplishing the mission is going to be against what God maybe would want done in that moment. It's not that you're going to do some shortcut that's unethical, but you realize that you have two choices to go here. Well, I can accomplish this mission and get it done this way, or I can obey God. But God, you gave me this mission, so shouldn't I do this? It's like, but God, why? why? And, and you're sort of doing the, the two-step dance kind of thing. Like, I'm going to go this way, but I'm not. I'm going to go that way. What happens? Well, Abraham and Isaac's one of these things. God promised Abraham, right? Remember from Genesis uh, 12, I will bless you so you can be a blessing. God told Abraham, this is my mission for I'm going to bless you so your people that come from you will bless the whole world. And late in life, God gave him a son, Isaac. When that son turned a teenager, God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice this child of yours. What? This doesn't make any sense. But what did Abraham do? He was obedient, went to the place of sacrificing Isaac, and God said, halt, I just wanted to see where your heart was. What's God seeing? He's saying, do you have reverence for me, fear for me? Are you committed to me above and beyond all things? No matter even trying to complete your mission in a way that you think is a good way? God, as I sometimes say, and it's going to sound contradictory to this whole series, God doesn't need you. God is God, and he's fully sufficient, and he can accomplish his means. God chooses to use you and I for us to be co-heirs with him through Christ throughout all of eternity. But God wants allegiance to him foremostly above your mission. And you have a challenge for that. David, remember King David? Well, David, before he was king, God said, I'm going to make you king. I'm going to, you're going to lead my people. You're going to lead them into righteousness. But there was a problem. There was already a king. His name was Saul. And Saul wanted to do what to David? He wanted to kill him. And then there's the story told when David and his guys were in a cave and in Gideon, which is up from the Dead Sea, have been in that area some. It's, it's pretty cool to think that, wow, that sort of maybe happened in this area. And um, Saul came in to relieve himself. And David had the chance to take Saul's life. His soldier friends were saying, do it, David. David didn't do it. Why? Because it was illegal to kill the king. You don't do that. That would be wrong. And so he snipped his garment to later show that he could have done it, but he didn't do it. David was obedient, even in spite of seeing a way that he could complete the mission and he could become king. Surely it would have happened. He could take Saul's life in that moment. No, he chose to revere God and follow in his pathway of obedience. A modern example of this, maybe, well, at least more my life, some of you maybe because you're younger, uh, but Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was a nun in Calcutta, India, and she took care of the homeless, the destitute, and the dying, right? And she had great integrity and moral authority. She had great influence, even though she was a feeble, small little lady, all right? There was a story told that there was a, some Hindu priest that wanted to kill her one day, and they actually came into her place, and they were going to kill her. And she says, well, you can take my life, but don't you touch the people I'm here trying to work with. They didn't take her life. One of those Hindu priests later got ill, with tuberculosis, they wouldn't take him into the hospital. You know what Mother Teresa did? She went and found that Hindu priest, brought him into her place, into her mission, and took care of him to the point, to the day that he died. That's who Mother Teresa was. She carried high authority integrity. In fact, it was interesting, in 1994, I believe it was, she actually was invited to speak to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. 
3,000 people gathered in a hotel there for the prayer breakfast that year, and they had invited Mother Teresa to come. You had, uh, you had senators, and you had representatives, you had other political leaders, you had the president, you had cabinet people, and they were there to hear from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa did not sort of mix with the crowd. She, she didn't eat. She came out from behind a curtain, and she began to speak. And she, though feeble and small, she hit him pretty hard. She hit him pretty hard. And she says, listen, I just sort of came from a place. I came from a place that uh, was where old people are. They had every provision that they'd want in that place. But there was not one smile to be had upon the face of those people. They just kept looking at the door, hoping that maybe a son or daughter would come to visit them. And nobody did. Nobody did. And she shared with them how we have to take that initiative to help the poor and the broken and the destitute and the dying. And she gave her life to do that. And she just sort of hit them really hard, and she sort of, she's, they stunned. In fact, let me read a quote for you of one part of what she said. This has to relate to abortion. Can you imagine this? Mother Teresa standing in front of these 3,000 prayer leaders. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child to solve her problems. Abortion is really a war against the child, and I hate the killing of innocent childs. Murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that the mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. She's saying that to these leaders. What do you think they did? Well, there were some who were clapping. There was others just shell-shocked. Did she just say what she said? Why did she have the power and the ability to do that? Because of her life backed up. She had the moral authority. What she said is what she did with her life. Her influence was from that sense of alignment. And if you want to have sustained success in your life, do not compromise. Because if you stand up in front of a crowd and you try to say something like that, they'll laugh you off the stage. But she lived it. She lived it. So those are some examples. And she lived it out of her reverence for God and a commitment to the vision that he had given her. A second thing in sustaining success is character. And Nehemiah says this, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governor's But because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. Continue to build the character, the interior part of your life as I reference it. Because that's the part that people in the long haul will remember most. Oh, you may all look pretty and have the best clothes on, those kinds of things. They won't remember that when your life's sort of come and gone. They'll remember who you were with your character. Sustain success with reference for God. Sustain success for your character. The third is sacrifice. Blessing through me is for them. Yet I refuse to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. He sacrificed so that others could have. He sacrificed so others could have. And then fourthly was time for the entire 12 years. It's over the course of time that it is built, the integrity and the process. 
Now, I got a question. Can you lose it fast or is it slow? You can lose trust and influence like that. It's scary to me because you build it over the course of time. In fact, this last week I had the opportunity to speak at a seminar for uh, some real estate agents. And I was invited to come in to speak on communication and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and ethical uh, measures. And I threw out the whole idea of trust. You know, And one of my statements is you know, build bridges of trust that support the weight of truth and how critical that is. And um, uh, I was challenging them about the interior life, the character life. And that's so important when you're dealing in business dealings. Do people trust you, whether you're an agent or you have a business or doing those kinds? And there's a guy like three rows back. And he's originally from Dubai. And uh, his name is Mohammed, and he raises his hand, and he says, he says, well, what do you do if you lose trust with people? Can you restore trust? And I just wanted to park there for a while, but only a few minutes. Yes, you can restore trust, but it's going to take a long time. You can lose trust in a moment, but you have to build trust over the course of time. That's why you need to protect it, keep it sacred in what's going on with your life. And I, I like this reference of uh, Kenton Bashore, who's uh, um, challenged with this series. He, uh, he makes mention of uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in the scripture was a tax collector and ripped off a bunch of people, remember? And then he came to know Jesus. And people must look to skew at Zacchaeus and went, really, him? All right? So Zacchaeus had lost a lot of trust, right? And you're going to, can it be rebuild trust? So what if that's sort of maybe me or whatever, and I would say to you, well, I made a mistake. Yes, I've taken half your money, more of your money than I should have. But I'm sorry. I've met Jesus, and I would like you just to forgive me, and we can just move on from here. Would you do that? Now, how many of you would do that? Yeah, maybe. You're, you're a nice guy, Mike. Appreciate that. But what if you do what Zacchaeus did? And Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half of what I take to the poor. And that money which I stole from you, I'm going to give back to you fourfold. Guess what? He did it. Did them both. Now, do you want to trust Zacchaeus? You bet. Because his actions backed up his words. Trust can be destroyed in a moment, but it can be rebuilt through time. But it's one building block at a time where you back up with integrity that which you've spoken. So if you've fallen flat, you don't think anybody's trusting you today, just get used to the long haul. But the good news is the long haul, you do rebuild trust. Now, for some people, it's, it's going to be a little awkward and maybe it'll never fully come back around. But as far as it depends on you, Scripture says you move forward. And as you move forward, you can rebuild that trust. So some of you, and I like how Kent Bishore put it, he says, you need to go Zacchaeus on people. Parents, have you lost trust with your kids? Just go Zacchaeus on them. Just start backing up what you have broken with them by your actions and see where it can lead. So let me finish out with this last thing then. You've got to be aware of the dangers of success. To sustain success, you build influence through these ways. 
And ultimately, what you're going to end up leaving, next slide, is to leave an intentional legacy. It's about people. You empower people and give your life away after you live and sustain success over the course of time. After the wall was finished, it says in Nehemiah 7, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing, faithful, those who feared God. And as you get older, and as Nehemiah did, he gave it away. The gatekeepers were the people who kept track of the economic reasons, the singers. Isn't that pretty cool? He puts worshipers there. Worshippers, how incredible. It's important. The second place, even above Levites, the people that gave, you know, gave the word. Because worship is who we are as people, and we come together. He gave it to the, the singers. He appointed them. People who could govern responsibly, faithful and free people. And what happened in the midst of this incredible finishing of the wall was God wasn't happy about establishing the wall. He had seen that the wall was for the purpose of safety and reuniting of people. Going back to the Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. God wanted to bless a people. He didn't want to build a wall, but the wall represented the people coming together. And through Nehemiah, the nation was restored. And out of that restoration, which is in the latter part of the Old Testament, the next thing we find in the New Testament is God gives us son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes, he lives, he dies, he raises from the grave, just as we surely celebrated in communion today. Why? Because he would forgive the sins of the whole world. God had this new, fresh movement that began. And Nehemiah wanted to give all the influence away because it was through the people of God that the world would see God. And so what you do with your life, what we do with our life as a church is so critical for the world to know God. And so what you do with your success, because it's not for you, is you give it away to other people. And as you give it away to other people, they can be God honoring in all that they do. We are empowering others to live for him. The mission, whatever mission it is that you're getting enraptured with, it's about the people. It's about the people. And the last is to inspire people to see the spiritual conditions around them. Courage, service, generosity. That's where it all lands. And that's what happened with the people. In Nehemiah 7, 4 through 73, you can read that. It's quite boring. It lists families. It lists families that totals over 42,360 people. They're not only listed in Nehemiah, it's also listed in the book of Ezra. Why are these people there? Is your name in the Bible? My name's not in the Bible. Their name was in the Bible because they helped rebuild the wall. They came together as a people, a people who would have courage, service, and generosity to others. That's where it lands. Our success can ruin us. Or our success can build a generation of people that call people to God because they are God-honoring and centered on Him. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning that you would challenge us wherever we're at, whether in adversity or prosperity, that in both we would be God-honoring. And Lord, may we, in our God-honoring state, Seek to empower others to live for you. Lord, may we know day in and day that it's not about us. So, Lord, I just pray your blessing upon us as a people, upon us as a church. May we go forward from here, living the life you've called us to live, because you are a great and holy and awesome God. In your name we pray.